Okay, alright, welcome back everybody to another episode of Shoot Your Shot Season 2. We are back and we have a lot to talk about in today's episode. I want to take this chance to thank everybody for coming in, hopping on, and listening to my voice talk about my passion, which is the NBA. We have a lot to get into today, so I can't wait to do that with everyone here listening with me alongside me. Thank you again for dedicating your time to come in and sit with me today to discuss the NBA. So, I don't want to waste more time. Let's get right into the news. I want to start off by saying um, the best player in the world, or at least was the best player in the world, LeBron James, has finally caught up with father time. He is injured probably for the rest of the season. He's just going to probably nurse his injury up until the playoffs start so he can lace them up and get to work. However, it is unfortunate to report to everyone today that father time has finally caught up with LeBron James. Uh, It started off at the All-Star break where he injured his finger trying to go in for a swat or a block at the rim trying to be flashy for everybody since he is 38 years old going on 39 still averaging about 30 points this season which is berserk for the first time in NBA history we're witnessing someone like that do something like that at his age defying father time however He is unfortunately sidelined currently due to a foot injury that he is nursing for the rest of the season. He will probably be ready come playoff time after the All-Star break. They haven't been doing the best as LeBron. However, the Lakers have been going crazy. They've only lost a few games and they are currently in the 10th spot in the play-in tournament as of the time of this recording. LeBron James has averaged a mere 20 points, 8 rebounds, and 5 assists after the All-Star game. However, those games were both W's against the Golden State Warriors and the Dallas Mavericks, which are two very firm contenders for this year's title. Some people might come back at me and say that Dallas is not a firm title contender for this season. However, I will never personally count out a backcourt with Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. You simply do not have those backcourts come up a lot in the NBA. They are by far one of the best rated offensive rating teams with that fire backcourt. People are talking them down. However, I believe that they have a playoff push in them and only time will tell and I will be here to report that to you guys come playoff time. I do want to touch about KD's debut with the Suns. He looks crazy in purple, my favorite color, my favorite player, the mid-range maestro, the slim reaper, the assassin which works at night has debuted with the Suns on April 1st. He dropped a 23-point performance that day. And he is currently averaging about 27 points with the Suns on, get this, 70% from the field. Kevin Durant is averaging about 27 points, shooting 70% from the field with the Suns. He is 
going insane. He is literally shooting over 50% from three at a, about 4.5 attempts per game. That is a very high clip for someone at 6'10", and he is making 54% of them. He is basically making even more than what his contract deserves, and I believe that he is definitely making the Suns the team to beat in the West. We got a little preview of what might be one of the conference finals matchups, or as the stand, standings currently stand, a first round matchup between the Dallas Mavericks and your Phoenix Suns. We got to see that killer playoff field game where Luka missed the go-ahead bucket to tie the game. It would have probably gone to overtime if he hadn't missed that layup. You could see his body language after he missed that layup. He was very angry with himself. And then he proceeded to foul KD and put him on the charity stripe to ice the game for a final score of 130 to 126. And then we can see after he fouled Durant, what before he went to the charity stripe, him and Booker got into it, and I believe that Luca is way better than Devin Booker. However, people can make the case that Booker has made it further in his career, but he is also about three years older than Luca. So they are both definitely ruthless scorers, and they are playing with stacked teams. However, unfortunately, I think that Devin Booker has way more of a holistic team surrounding him and his skill set, whereas Luka Doncic has to go to hero mode and resort to Kyrie Irving and him only to save every game, whereas we saw in that very game I'm talking about a lot of Suns role players making insane buckets in the last stretches, such as Ish Wainwright coming off the bench and icing the game with two threes of his own in the last five minutes in the fourth. We got an insane playoff feel for that game, and if the standings stay as is for today at the end of the season, we are bound to see a killer first-round matchup with the fourth-seeded Phoenix Suns and the fifth-seeded Dallas Mavericks. Honestly, if that comes to fruition, I will be glued to my TV. That will be a killer playoff first-round matchup. You got every storyline that you would want to think of going with that series. You have Luka and Devin Booker. You have KD and Kyrie. And you got the coaches trying to prove themselves, which makes me actually talk about the next thing I wanted to mention, which is Dallas's coach, Jason Kidd. Oh, Jason Kidd, how much of a thing you are to talk about. Like, honestly, this man always stirs the pot and people still see him as a good coach. It's kind of like Philly's coach. Like, Doc Rivers has literally won one championship with the, <clears throat> the Celtics in 08, and that is still getting him jobs to this day. When he got let go, or should I say fired, by the Clippers because he couldn't lead them further than the conference finals, which was the first time in the franchise's history that they got that far, he got let go, and immediately Philly picked him up. 
And then he got a, basically a super team with him and M- Harden and Embiid. I don't know why people respect him so much. I don't think his coaching style is that effective because he only has one championship ring under him with a very stacked team with the Boston Celtics. And honestly, I just I don't agree with his coaching a lot. But then again, who am I compared to a top-rated, highly, highly paid, coveted coach in Doc Rivers? However, getting back to the point which I was discussing earlier... The Dallas coach, Jason Kidd, kind of comes across as someone like us just watching from a screen. Or should I say, that is exactly what came out of his mouth. He was asked about why he didn't call a timeout in one of the games that he lost. And then he was literally responding to the reporter saying that, oh, I'm just watching from the sidelines just like you. I have no influence over the game. I'm just watching just like everyone else. That is the last thing you want your not coach, your head coach, to say to the media. Especially being the fact that he was a player before and he didn't make it far with the Bucks at all as a head coach. He is not in the right place to say that as the Dallas Mavericks head coach. I don't think that's something that shows that you take accountability for your role or your job title. You need to own up to your losses and say what you should have done instead. Take accountability for the loss, which is on your head, not the way the players played. And he has a lot of berserk responses to reporters' questions along those lines. For example, he was talking about how he has to outscore teams purely from an offensive standpoint because, quote-unquote, Nobody likes to watch defense. Like, that is simply him, be, uh, the player, responding to questions in a mindset of a 25-year-old rather than a 45-year-old's coach taking accountability for their actions and not joking around saying that you have to outscore teams because of your insane, offensively talented backcourt. However, you should take accountability and talk about how, for example, Maxi Kleba is coming back so he can contribute more to your defense and offense at the same time, and how you might want to use them and Christian Wood to be your double-sided frontcourt, which every team would be a lot more scared of, or just simply imply other coaching tactics that you and your coaching staff are talking about. Maybe you don't want to share them with the media. That's understandable. You don't want to give away your strategy. However, coming across with a childish response such as, oh, I'm simply watching just like you is not the way to go. Moreover, he has a really bad player coach representation and reputation in the media and holistically, generally speaking. For example, he literally forced the Bucks players when he was a head coach for the Bucks back in the day, to play on Christmas morning because they lost the game prior. Like, you don't do that if you're a head coach. The players came out with a lot of pushback saying that they had planes scheduled to go and see their families for Christmas and plans with their families to go and do stuff they had work they had been working on prior for that day specifically. Whereas Kid simply ignored every single comment from every player that was surfaced on that day and simply forced them to come in on practice on Christmas morning. And 
we had reports saying that that practice did not go well at all. The players were full of resentment and did not want to be there because of their aforementioned plans. However, Kid literally just forced them to do that for no reason. And it didn't even result in something good like them being better after that practice or even making it further in that in the playoffs for that season. And another instance that Jason Kidd had forced with his team when he was a head coach for the Bucks was that he literally told his player to bump into him when he was holding a plastic cup of water so it could get spilled so the officials could call an official's timeout because he was out of timeouts for that specific game so he could get his players and write up a play for the last possession of that game. Like, these things prove how Jason Kidd is not fit to be a head coach in today's NBA and how he still abides by his childish mentality when he was a player back in the day. That's just my opinion. I don't really like his coaching style, but to each their own, Doc Rivers still has a job, like I mentioned earlier, so a lot of people still think that him and Kidd are good coaches. However, I don't see any championships to back that claim but to each and their own. Now I want to get into how Donovan Mitchell is simply put on a mission this season. Everybody thought that when Utah was blowing it up, trading Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, that they would become a bad team, and they simply surprised everyone, being first place in the standings like two weeks into the season, but they've regressed now being about the 11th seed. And everyone thought that Donovan Mitchell, or Spida as he goes by, was going to the New York Knicks. Because the New York Knicks, which we're going to get into later in today's episode, are actually, for the first time in a long time, relevant. <laughs> You'd uh, think the people playing in Madison Square Garden would not fail to be relevant for uh, about 20 years, but... You'd be wrong. They're finally relevant again because they've made money moves. However, that's for later in today's episode. We want to talk about how Spida is literally on a mission. He got traded to the Cavs and everybody thought that was a wasted move. And that's not going to suffice or turn into anything because the Cavs were still a young team trying to figure it out. However, Donovan Mitchell at the ripe age of 25, not even entering his prime, is a perfect leader for that squad, which basically consists of players from 24 to 19 years old, if you include Evan Mobley, which is basically one of their core players at this moment in time. He has cemented himself to be one of their very consistent starters ever since he was drafted, and he's been one of the backbone members for their front court, along with his center in the back. I believe that Donovan Mitchell is literally the perfect person to be placed in that situation because their backcourt of him and Garland simply cross you over and you just can't keep up with them. They're too fast, they're too shifty, they're too talented, they're, they're, they have the best three-point shot as a backcourt probably in today's NBA on the East Coast at least, if you don't count Steph and Clay, that's like goes without saying, but they just can do everything, they can slice and dice into the defense and get a rolling layup, a floater, they can shoot it from half court, Garland is taking on that pure point guard perspective where he's basically playmaking a lot and deferring to Donovan Mitchell as the go-ahead scorer or shooting guard on that team, and it's basically 
made a beautiful team out of what they have currently and I believe they are one small piece away from being a legitimate top seed in the East for years to come because they have established such a good well-rounded team defensively and offensively speaking and Donovan Mitchell can just be your late game bucket getter no matter what. Men's went for 71 earlier this season which we discussed in our previous episodes and he scored a 40 point performance in the Cavs's OT recent win which puts the Cavs at 7 and 0 in overtime games this season against your Boston Celtics. You heard that right. The team that has been on a downward spiral since the All-Star break. And that makes me super happy to say the Boston Celtics have been losing because of yours truly, Donovan Spider Mitchell. Man's dropped 40 points, putting the Cavs at 7-0 and again in overtime, which is an insane stat to have for a season in the NBA today, given how crazy offenses are being played all around the league and how we touched on earlier in previous episodes that the scoring boom is at an all-time high when it comes to this league and how I guess Jason Kidd as I just mentioned was right in terms of people want to see offense and not defense but that's just simply nothing a coach would say when being interviewed by the media once again. Honestly, the Cavs are doing really well. I want to see them make a deep playoff push because they are such a fun team to watch with the backcourt being that shifty guard duo of Garland and Mitchell. They just don't fail to entertain you as an audience and just win games with the craziest means imaginable. And they just have to win it the hard way, I guess. But they make it for excellent entertainment for anyone to witness that enjoys watching the NBA. Furthermore, I'd like to touch about the Bucks, Your Milwaukee Bucks, which have been on an insane, or should I say have been, on an insane 16-game winning streak, which is the second most in franchise history for the Bucks. They have destroyed the standings basically going from like almost third place like a game a half game in front of third place to cementing themselves as the top seed in the east as the team to beat in the east where everyone thought earlier this season that would have been Boston. However, Boston's been going through an insane losing streak since the All-Star break, which makes me super happy to report. However, the Bucks, especially given their recent acquisitions, I believe are the team to beat in the East. I think Giannis is simply on a mission along with Donovan Mitchell on separate teams. That may be, however, they will both not fall until the last second they will keep fighting they will try to find or manifest a way to win the game regardless of the situation they're in even if they're down 10 points with 30 seconds remaining they will find a way to win and that's what the warrior mentality induces in a player in today's league i believe that the bucks are going to make it out of the east and probably play either phoenix the clippers or, you know, 
the Dark Horse Warriors, maybe the defending champions. We'll see what happens, but as far as the East goes, I think the Bucks are in a very good spot as they are now. They're heating up towards the end of the season. That's the perfect time. You want to be warming up for the playoffs where you're going to play a certain team maybe seven times. Upwards of that many, the same team. I feel like the Bucks are in a perfect position given their recent wins, their rhythm, and just how they've been flowing since the All-Star break. I think Giannis is making his troops ready and just eyes on the prize. Everything's in front of you. You just got to go get it. That's the mentality. After their 16-game streak, unfortunately, they faced your dark horse to come out of the East, which is uh, your man, your only James Harden. Along with your Philadelphia 76ers. They came and they stopped their 16-game winning streak, unfortunately, where Harden went berserk scoring 38 points, whereas Embiid helped them out with a mere 31, cementing him as the top scorer in today's NBA. However, I think him and Luka have a long way to go because even though Luka just got injured in today's game that they're playing right now as I'm recording this, I think it's between him and Embiid to get the scoring title. I think Embiid might get it just because of Luka's recent injury and given how the Philadelphia 76ers are propelling themselves to become the team the third seed in the East. So I believe Embiid's on a mission. He keeps getting runner-up for MVP every season behind uh, Nikola Jokic with your man's winning probably the third consecutive MVP since Larry Bird, which is actually insane to witness in my lifetime. But I think he's going to get runner-up again, so he's going to salvage what he can winning the scoring title. However, Unfortunately, I don't think he's going to get the MVP because the Joker is having an insane season to remember for the history books, as, as well as being the top seed in the Western Conference. Moving on, the Bucks and that Philadelphia game was full of ref-mandated whistles, which concurrently ended their 16-game winning streak. And they got their first lead in that game super late during to those whistles, as I kept mentioning. This kind of backbones and tips off onto a topic I want to discuss even further, which have been the refs in recent games. I don't need to even outline which games they have been. If you watch the NBA, you know. It's basically every other game that comes down to the wire. Instead of letting them play, and by them I mean the players, the refs choose to blow the whistle at every opportune time which have been filled with recent issues where the league investigates the refs making wrong calls towards the end of close games to dictate or favor who ends up winning it. However, at the same time, I think that the league should start issuing punishments for these refs publicly because the league make it an effort to hide these punishments and privately, quote-unquote, punish the referees. The latest and greatest example would be Scott Foster roughing the recent Nuggets-Raptors game, which I will get into later. However, in short, Scott Foster basically ejected Scotty Barnes, your beloved Toronto Raptor, 
for doing absolutely nothing. He was ejected. Even there are memes surfacing today about how the other referees in that very game were shocked to see Scotty Barnes being ejected because he simply responded with a weird face and some something saying under his breath that he wasn't happy with the call. However, we see this on a regular cadence in today's NBA, which doesn't result at ever at times of people getting ejected. However, this was a very fast decision, which kind of dictated the end of that Nuggets-Raptors game, which the Nuggets went ahead to make an insane comeback in the last five minutes and win the game. I think referees in today's NBA are missing crucial calls. For example, we can go back to the Lakers-Celtics game before the new year, where Tatum very, very, very clearly fouled Tatum on a layup attempt, and the refs simply released a Twitter message saying that they're going to lose sleepless nights, which was basically taken as a troll from the audience because the refs don't care because they don't even get punished or fined at the end of the day publicly. The NBA somehow, quote-unquote, issues an investigation and simply does who knows what because they don't release that information publicly so the refs in turn do not get embarrassed or do not simply take accountability for their actions other than posting on a social media platform which is simply not enough especially when you go back as far as referees dictating outcomes for games for their loved ones and to make money off of third-party betting sites it's simply not what needs to be happening in today's NBA. You cannot influence the last five minutes, the last few seconds of a game by blowing the whistle. You have to let the players play it out. Hopefully this doesn't become a concurrent thing in the playoffs because it would ruin something beautiful to watch which would otherwise be tampered with and simply favored to win because of politics and logistics which don't make sense and I think the referees should start being punished on a public basis so they have that embarrassment when it comes to them refing games and they remember to not call stuff out for their own good as compared to for the good of the game and the audience watching. I want to go back to Giannis because I forgot to mention earlier that he scored a triple-double in a recent game. However, that triple-double was not registered as one and was also rescinded from the NBA because he simply dribbled the ball all the way back to the other team's backcourt and missed it without even touching the rim. And got it back just to register another rebound, which was basically taken away from him. And raised this whole stat padding argument over Twitter. NBA Twitter was going crazy, mentioning how Harden used to stat pad, how Russell Westbrook used to stat pad for triple doubles specifically, and now how Giannis is doing it, and people aren't coming at him as much because he's not Russell Westbrook, which kind of like bleeds into that whole theory about how Russell Westbrook was being scapegoated when it came to the Lakers' struggles and woes, and now he's being scapegoated for the Clippers' woes, which we'll get into very very, very shortly here. However, I just wanted to bring up how that triple-double was actually rescinded from the NBA because Giannis uh, put the ball up with no intent to score. That was what they released. That was the verbiage they used. 
even if he did have an intent to score, I don't think people registering one extra rebound in that fashion should be allowed because that goes back to the whole premise behind stat padding rather than playing the game the way it should be played. Now, I want to touch on how the Clippers are doing since All-Star break, which might be a sensitive topic if you're a Clipper fan. You might want to skip the next 10 minutes because it's not going to be a fun topic to discuss. However, it needs to be talked about. So the Clippers since All-Star break are 2-5 and five as the time of this recording, but they were 0-5 before and they're currently on a very, very rolling two-game win streak because they have it all figured out. Uh, psych, no they don't, they still are figuring out with your man's Russell Westbrook, which is again, just like I said, being scapegoated for the Clippers' struggles. Now, I want to share this stat, don't take it the wrong way, but it's been thrown out there a lot recently. So Westbrook is 0-15, yeah, he's 0-15 in his last 15 games as a starter. And now, well, as of two games ago, for the Clippers, 0-5 with the Clippers. However, if you count in Terrence Mann, which was their starting point guard before Russell got there, which is an excellent 3 and D player that can handle the ball, I don't know why he's being sidelined now for Russell Westbrook out of everyone. Honestly, just respect alone gets you so far in today's league, especially with the players. Because if PG did not respect Russ, and if he did not have his best season with Russ, Russ wouldn't be a Clipper. He'd probably be a Bull, or something else along those lines. Maybe even in Utah still. However, the Clippers were 10-2 and with Terrence Mann starting as their PG, and they're 2-5 and with Russell Westbrook, and they were 0-5 at one point with Russell Westbrook as their starting PG. Now, that's not all to blame on Russ. However, it does include a lot of restrictions, where we saw him against the Warriors being guarded in a meme-like fashion, where nobody, his primary defender was Draymond Green for that possession, and Draymond was under the rim guarding him when Russ was out on the three-point line. Man's left over 20 feet of space guarding Russell Westbrook, looking at the plays trying to happen behind him side to side to try to focus on where the ball is going to end up because he will happily and gladly live with Russell shooting that ball out there. However, if Terrence Mann was Russell Westbrook in that scenario, then that spacing issue would not exist. Even though you have five shoot- four shooters playing with Russ as the fifth, that issue would simply not exist because Terrence Mann can shoot the ball at a 40% clip uh, with about five five three-point attempts a game. So that's highly respectable and even really good in today's NBA. That's really above average. However, Russ shoots the ball at 29%, which is severely below the league average at 35%. So yeah, it's fair to say that I don't think the Clippers did the best move. A lot of people were dubbing it as like a high-reward, low-risk play because he's on a veteran's minimum. He got bought out. But honestly, I just think the way Russ is presented in today's NBA is just not good for the game because he can't shoot. And if you're a starting PG that can't shoot, you won't be starting. He's only starting because of his MVP season is triple double hunting i'm not a russ hater but i'm just saying it how it is 
The only reason he's starting is because he's Russell Westbrook. If he was another face with the same playing abilities, he would be a bench warmer. Like a guy that gets you 15, 7, and 7, or 15, 5, and 5, however many he's averaging this season, is simply not a starter in today's NBA, especially when you're shooting at 29% from three. It's just going to kill your team's spacing, even if you're being surrounded by four shooters. Your man's not going to guard you just like Draymond did. Like, man's who is a lot of the times dubbed as the best defender in the NBA did not guard Russell Westbrook for 20 feet. He was under the rim when Russ was at the top of the key behind the three-point line. And Russell wasn't even looking at the rim. He was looking at the play trying to pass it to PG, which essentially got doubled, which got him the ball back. And then he revitalized the play by lobbing it to Kawhi. Sure. But... That's just a broken down play. Like, you you can play Russ. Just don't start him. Don't play him long minutes. Don't play him at the end of games because we know how that decision making ends out. Honestly, I really like Tyrone Lue as a coach. I thought he would do a better job, but it's only seven games in, so I don't want to judge that fast. I really respect Tyrone's Lue Lue's coaching ability as compared to the coaches that we discussed in the beginning of today's episode. I think if anyone could figure it out with Russ, it would be Ty Lu. However, we need more time to show for that. Moving on, I want to touch on how the Hawks and Trey Young have been in quite this kerfuffle recently. So basically, their head coach was fired because Trey Young did not agree with how he wanted him to be accountable for certain things. So Trey Young simply did not want to show up to a game when the coach at the time basically said you won't start if you don't come to practice and Treyon couldn't go so he's like all right if you show up to the game you're not playing so Treyon didn't show up which basically led to a lot of grudges being formed and that coach being fired being replaced by Quinn Snyder which was the Utah head coach and so far, we've been seeing a lot better from the Hawks, but I still think their core is broken. I don't think him and his star players get along. Trey Young and everyone else on that team simply just are always like in drama and news outlets, which you don't want to be in. Rather than winning and making that trade with Murray count, I think him and John Collins are always fighting. Him and Murray always want the ball. Trey Young doesn't move when he doesn't have the ball, on top of the fact that he's a very scrawny 6-1 guard that can't play defense. So Quinn Snyder definitely has his job cut out for him. I'm excited to see what he does with the Hawks, but if I were to guess, I think that they're going to fall out of the play-in tournament as the way they're playing right now. And maybe Quinn Snyder will have more time next year to try to implement a better roster through the trades done by the front office. Because I don't think John Collins is coming back, to be frank. And maybe he can like, start fresh with the new team that he has when the front office decides to blow it up because it's simply not working. They're barely in the playing tournament and they just came back from an Eastern Conference Finals trip two years ago which was deemed them overachieving, but at the same time, that, that means that they have to get there because they're paying Trey Young the Supermax, and 
he's not producing that efficiently. He's shooting like 33% from three and he's a 6-1 guard. Like, you just can't do that. You, you're putting up like eight threes a game. You're only making two. Like, you, you just can't do that, man. Like, yeah, for your contract, like, I've seen harder contracts in today's league. Like, John... Oh, John Wall and Russell Westbrook, but you just saw Russell Westbrook being bought out, so I don't know. I don't think it's sustainable, but Quinn Snyder definitely has his job cut out for him. Excited to see what he does next season, because as I said, I think they're a play-in exit for this season. I want to also talk about how Stephen Curry finally returned, but unfortunately to a loss, and... He has been kind of going crazy since he came back, and the Warriors have kind of cemented themselves outside of the playing tournament. They're currently comfortably sitting at sixth, with the Dallas Mavericks right above them, at both uh, 11 and a half games back of first place. So honestly, I think that they might even try to squeeze themselves up to the fifth spot if they can. But at the same time, I don't want that to happen because I want to see that first round matchup with um Luca and uh Devin Booker. So I think the Mavs should keep winning whereas the Warriors should kind of just like mellow out because they're the defending champions and honestly if they face the Grizzlies as the sixth seed that would be a lot easier for them than going through um the Phoenix Suns in the first round. So I think they might try to do some strategic L's later in the season so they can stick to that sixth seed face the Memphis Grizzlies or the Sacramento Kings in the first round, depends on how that two matchup turns out. And then they can like at least get past them and then start playing a lot more when it comes to the Eastern Conference or Western Conference semifinals, moving on from there. Also, I want to touch on um, the team that was kind of my favorite team, if you don't count my Toronto Raptors, obviously the Nets, before they blew it up with Katie and Kyrie. But to be honest, they were winless since All-Star. And then playing the Celtics, just like I said, the Celtics just taking straight L's after the All-Star break. They played the Celtics, and they came down from 28 points to up 16. Like, imagine being down 28, not winning a game since the All-Star break, Having a brand new team from two different teams that you made blockbuster trades with in the middle of the season. And then being down by 28, most teams will check out, right? But not teams with Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, Spencer Dinwiddie. Those players have an insane ride or die mentality. And they came back down from 28 points to up 16 to give the Celtics the largest loss of today's season. That makes me so happy to say it. Like, the Celtics basically blew the biggest lead this season to a team that hasn't won since All-Star break. Isn't that isn't that fun to say? Like, you can say it with me. Like, they lost and they blew the biggest lead since All-Star break to the Nets, which haven't won since All-Star break. Honestly, that's just, like, something funny to me, but I don't know. I feel like the Celtics are not doing well right now, and I hope it stays that way, but we'll see what happens. I think they're going to make a really deep playoff push, and they're probably going to face the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals, and that, that and that's when they're going to get eliminated, but they're definitely going to have their money cut out for them for the rest of the season, so we'll see what happens there. 
Finally, I want to touch on the small market Kings, which have actually been going crazy as opposed to the Celtics since the All-Star break. They're 5-0. They got your insane backcourt of De'Aaron Fox and the guy that got traded from the Los Angeles Lakers last season, Malik Monk, which dropped an insane 40-burger to get the largest franchise comeback against the Nuggets. That was an insane game, man. If you didn't watch it, you should go watch the replay. Like, they went crazy. They dropped the first seed in the Nuggets, 5-0 since All-Star. They've just been like, they don't get talked about, just like Denver Nuggets, which they beat. But honestly, I don't think they get talked about as much. They don't. Memphis kind of does, especially with the Morant situation that we're going to get into right now. But honestly, I just don't think that the Kings get enough credit because they haven't been relevant since like 2005 when they lost to the Lakers or like 2002. But they deserve their credit. They deserve their flowers. I think they should get way more media attention. Kind of reminds me of when the Raptors won in 2019, barely got any media attention. But I don't know. I guess the media doesn't like to touch on small market teams even after they win and are in second place in the Eastern, in the Western Conference right now. Like They keep talking about the Lakers, which at one point were at 13 in the West, but not the Kings, which were at second basically since the start of the season. So the last two topics I want to touch on in today's episode are the Morant situation that's going on right now and the New York Knicks which are kind of going crazy they've won nine straight and as opposed to their other rival team Boston which kind of lost the last four out of the uh, last five games whereas New York's going insane and just with their core they're just beating everyone which kind of doesn't make sense because they haven't been relevant since the 2000s as well but honestly I think the front office is going to make a lot more trades at the end of this season and they're going to be a team which is a real contender coming back in the next season and finally to end today's episode I want to talk about how John Morant thinks he's a gangster when he basically came up in a middle high class family with no ties to the hood, going on Instagram and flashing his gun as the star player of the Memphis Grizzlies, the most famous player in Tennessee, he goes after a loss and flashes his gun in a strip club. Like, I understand if you're hardened and you live there, that's fine. You do you, but flashing a gun... That becomes a safety issue. That becomes an uh, irresponsibility issue. On top of the fact that, coupled with that, he punched a 17-year-old kid about 12 times because of him talking shit to him at a pickup basketball game. Like, are you serious? So, basically, the Memphis Grizzlies asked him to step away for a few games so he could get help. They released a statement saying how they're for him getting help. But that just shows you how a 23-year-old all-star in today's NBA has the right to act by basically flashing a gun on his Instagram story at a strip club at 3 a.m. 
thinking he's that guy because of his status in today's NBA. I'm really happy that as opposed to the officials issue that's not being addressed, at least this is because this is a public safety issue. And the NBA fully held him accountable, made him release a statement saying how he's apologetic and how he his emotions got the best of him and now he's seeking the proper help he dis- he he needs to get rid of this uh habit forming mentality which you can basically just do whatever you want whenever you want there's a difference between going out and having fun and there's a difference when there are weapons involved so i'm really happy that he's getting the help he needs i'm really happy the nba addressed it such as and Everything is going according to the way the league wants it to go for this public health and safety issue. Again, that brings me to the end of today's episode. If you're still here, you are truly a real one. I appreciate you sitting through 40 minutes of me yickety-yacking about the NBA. And I hope to see you next time. Till then. Peace out.